0: Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, everyone. I'm here today with Kelly Smith. Kelly is the CEO and founder of Prenda. Prenda has the goal of changing the way we think about education by helping passionate people run microschools in their home. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Tanya. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. And one of the places I want to start is that you launched Prenda back in 2016, which was four years before the pandemic and before microschools and pods were something everyone was talking about. So what did you see as the challenge then that really pushed you to start this venture?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it actually goes back even further than that, but it wasn't officially a company yet. In uh, 2013, I started volunteering at my local public library teaching kids computer programming. And I think it was less about like resolving a challenge and more about an opportunity that I just saw as so, so exciting because I would watch these kids come into my after-school program and they would dig in and learn and think and work hard At something that was cognitively taxing and difficult. And yet these same kids were complaining about how disengaged and bored and um, a lot of them were getting in trouble at school in their traditional education environment. I said, there's something going on here that's, that's strange, right? Like, why are these kids struggling in school? I can see them code. I can watch their brains and I know that they're capable of succeeding at whatever they, you know, whatever they want to do. And yet for whatever reason, it's not working for them in a traditional setting. So that was. Really, the the starting you, you start from a place of curiosity, like what's going on, how is this working? You know, the thing I, I came to is just this idea of really being opted in, right? Being engaged and owning your your education. Like um, part of what was going on in school was so much of the decisions were taken away that I think a lot of these kids just sort of felt like they were being shoved through, a, you know, some sort of system. And I I knew that feeling because when I was in school, I did really well in school, but it was definitely a game for me of try to jump through the hoops with the minimum amount of effort possible and get an A. And you know, that wasn't really the same as learning. So when I saw what learning looks like, when it's a a truly human endeavor and I saw kids that made that decision, like I want to learn. I want to figure out JavaScript so that I can do this thing in this video game that I'm making. I want to figure out HTML so I can write this web page and put it out to my friends. Uh, that was learning in a way that really resonates with the human spirit. It was exciting for the kids fit with learning for me as an adult, you know, ever since I've left school, I've, I've been continuing to learn and, and that's the way it has taught for me. So that was, it's maybe not a challenge. It's more of an opportunity. It's what if school was like this? What if it was an environment where learning was, was the norm? It was really optimized for that, for kids to decide to be learners and then to practice, practice, practice being a learner. Cause it takes, as we all know, it takes a lot of effort to gain those, those skills and attributes, uh, to be able to do that.
0: It's one of the things we talk a lot about here is, is that difference between learners and students. And you talk about like learning to play the game. And I did the same thing. I was really good at school. School was really easy for me. But I could pretty quickly decipher like what my teacher wanted from me, what I needed to do at a bare minimum to get the A and, and how to navigate that system. Right. And so if you got good at playing the game, school was pretty easy.
1: I made a spreadsheet one time. You'll, you'll find this fun. Like I, I knew the from the syllabus of the teacher, you know, I knew how the grades were calculated. I figured out at, it was like February of the year that it was impossible for me to get lower than a 90%. So I literally just like stopped coming to that class. Like I went and played sand volleyball every day at like noon and just like hung out. And I, I knew that I, I was going to get an A. But that's like, if you think of that from the perspective of school, it's like genius, great. But like the perspective of learning, it's like, what could I have learned? What could I have done instead of sort of goofing around with my friends during that time? Uh, you know, it's it's just a, a weird Third way to think about it, it didn't occur to me at the time, you know, to my shame and, and <laughs> regret that I could have really, like, adopted learning as my M.O. Uh, as a young person. It took me a while. I think I always was a learner kind of outside, but for for whatever reason, I slipped into a mode of, let's get the A for the minimum amount of work.
0: Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's often what you're taught to do. And that's what we're incentivized to do a lot of times in school. I mean, clearly as an entrepreneur and the career path you've taken, you're an ongoing learner, like being an entrepreneur, you're learning something, doing something new every day. So you've you've mastered that learning. But I did the same thing. I took a class in college and I had a professor who would quote certain quotes on certain pages of the book. And I learned pretty quickly if I just wrote down the page number and the quote and then used that when I wrote the paper for the midterm and the final that I didn't like my notes were only the pages and the quotes that he used. And then I just wove those together as a paper and I got an A. I didn't take any other notes. I didn't really learn much else. (laughs) I
1: don't know if I'm allowed to ask questions, but I'm curious for you. When was the first time you wrote something like delivered like a written piece that you felt like proud of that really reflected like you as a a human and a thinker, as opposed to sort of like writing to satisfy some other like set of, of criteria.
0: Yeah, no, I can answer that. I know exactly when it was. Um, it was actually in a high school history class, and my high school was very traditional. History was come in, sit down, listen, learn your history, go home. Um, the teacher was a little bit more experimental. We got to play Risk as a part of the curriculum. You know, it it taught us geography, it taught us strategy, it taught us. Always start with Australia <laughs> and go from there. I always lose. I, I still lose at Risk. But he gave us one assignment and it was on the Revolutionary War. And we had the opportunity to either, you know, study and take the quiz and take a test or to write a historical fiction piece that was set among the time of the Revolutionary War. And I really enjoyed writing. I still enjoy writing. And so I, I was the only one in the class that did the writing assignment. And I wrote like a, I don't know a three-page, four-page story that was a love story that was historical fiction set in the Revolutionary War and her love was going off to war and, you know, that, that whole saga. Yeah. Because I was a teenager.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's basically like, but without vampires and with revolutionary muskets and things.
0: Right, right. But it was a really fun experience. He had liked it so much he had me stand up in front of the class, asked me if I would read the story to everyone. Yeah, my classmates had tears in their eyes at the end of the story. Oh, wow. I got an A in the class. I didn't have to take the test. And I'm pretty sure that even the students that took the test don't remember anything about the Revolutionary War. But that was the first chance that I had the experience to like, do something different and write about something that was adjacent, but within my interests.
1: Did, uh, did the protagonists end up together? Or did like he die in the war and they ended up alone, sad and alone?
0: They ended up together.
1: Oh, that's good. Now I'm gonna cry.
0: He came back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's but the other thing, the other thing you mentioned in talking about starting Prendo was how we make learning relevant. And like the kids would come to the after school coding class and really be engaged. Like they wanted to learn JavaScript because they wanted to do a thing. And so, you know, how do you then bring that into school and make it relevant so that they're learning for a reason? And the reason isn't because we want you to learn this the reason that's relevant to their life and their interest.
1: Yeah, I think there's so many ways. This is this is where it just gets really fun because like your teacher did for you, said you can do the boring test if you want or you could like create a story that sort of is set in and you have to learn the, the, some of the same things, like understand the time period to write a good story. But there's so many ways to do that. I mean, seen like I mentioned kids that want to make a video game, but through our micro schools, you know, We found contacting somebody that's working in a profession is like such a thrilling experience for a 10-year-old, you know, to, so one of our kind of project-based learning prompts has them researching a particular field of science and they're supposed to contact a researcher. These people aren't like celebrities, but they're like well-renowned in their field, you know, and they get an email from a 10-year-old, like most of them wrote back and talked a little bit about their process and how they became a scientist and There's just these like neuron explosions that are happening when, when you do that. A lot of it's about winning. So we have like egg drops and some of those kind of classic engineering challenges. Uh, we use those and you know, you're like, I want to, I want to get this done. And so that I can, you know, whatever drop the egg from the highest possible height. Um, I was just volunteering. I have two daughters that go to go to a micro school near my house and I was volunteering to help with their, they're doing robotics this year. So. It was like the, the table down, the Legos are everywhere and they're doing all these things. And it was like, they were working through kind of the lesson plan, you know, it was like Lego, whatever, EV. They, they set it all up in a, it's kind of a structured, like educator format and they were kind of going through it and it was, it was okay, but it wasn't like engaging. And then I just was like, do you guys think like I picked one of the missions? Do you think you guys could accomplish this mission by like one hour from now? You know, if you just sort of like had to, had to do it and just that idea of, um, having this team goal, we want to get this thing, the robot has to accomplish this thing, you know? And um, the learning just like activated. It was like next level. You could see it just elevated. Everybody's problem solving. There was so much like iterating and, and trying things different ways. And they were sharing ideas with each other and collaborating. You can taste it in a way like what learning can be. Uh, and I think this idea of like sitting down as a passive recipient of some fact that you try to hold in your brain for a period of time the the facts matter but it's for a purpose right and if you can get them onto the purpose it's it's just an incredible thing so we're trying to do everything we can structurally to where we can support that type of learning to take place it doesn't always happen you know it's not a, a guarantee we use the gardening analogy a lot right you can like set the conditions and the soil is right and the water's right and the sunlight's right but like you don't get to force a seed to sprout and come out like that's in a way, like a sacred miracle, right? It's a thing that can happen for a child to be, see themselves as a learner and make that decision and, and really lean into it.
0: And we all sprout at different times, right? Even, even all the seeds in the same pack are going to come up at a different time. I use yeah. the popcorn analogy a lot. Like you put all the kernels in the pan, some pop right at the beginning, you know, some you're, you're done frying and they're still not popped, <laughs> but they'll get there, right? Yeah. So we talk a lot about that as well. So you mentioned the project-based learning prompt and Prenda now has, you can share with us how many micro schools across the country. So can you talk a little bit about how, how that curriculum and those prompts and, and kind of how it all ties together and works?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I kind of pick up the story, I guess, for doing those after-school code clubs. I had that question of what if school was like this? And uh, instead of just thinking about it, I um, decided to start one. So I did a, a micro school in my house. That was in January of 2018. So still, way before pandemics or anything else. But it was me and seven kids around my kitchen table. One of them was my child, and and then others, you know, children of friends and people that I knew from Code Club. So it's kind of mixture of kids. I don't have an education degree or a background. Never taught in a classroom. Um, I thought that what we were doing in Code Club was unique. I knew it worked. And um so I was trying to apply those same principles. But what was interesting about this moment was I'm frantically researching. You know, you talk about the skill of being a learner. Well now I've got parents that are relying on me and these kids are coming and they're relying on me. It's like I've got to figure this out. So I knew that um for example, building something, like building a video game is a really powerful like motivator for a child to like learn, learn different things. Uh, That was like a principle that I had seen firsthand, but I literally didn't know the words project-based learning. I didn't realize that all other people were documenting this and researching it. So what I did was kind of figured out like, oh, there's a whole world that's already talking about this. And, And it was reassuring, refreshing to not have to sort of invent that piece of it. And one by one, like we do personalized learning for mastery using, you know, different tools like software tools that that like kids go at an individual pace, but they move from one topic to the next. That was, I had never heard of like blended learning or mastery based or any of these like terms. And I started finding out that literally everything, every academic or pedagogical element of my approach at Code Club and what I was incorporating into my Microsoft has already been like well-researched, documented. It's None of it was new. And it was thrilling to me to find that. Like, oh, all we're really doing is putting together Some of these elements that people already know work well. And the innovation is like, can we do it in a way that, you know, is easy to implement? Like you can actually take it and run. So that meant a project, like a a library of prompts that meant kind of a structure for some of these inquiry led things that we do, like a Socratic discussion or like a debate, or we have a tool that we use for science, hands-on science projects, curating like resources. I was on, you know, Buck Institute and looking through teachers, build for teachers, like all these different, you know, places and finding great ideas, adapting them to work for our model. But uh, yeah, our our thing never was like, we're going to build the best content. It was, let's take the best content that already exists and put it in a package that's easy for people to to implement.
0: So how many micro schools do you have right now? Or how many apprentice schools?
1: Yeah, there's in the hundreds. Um, and it's hard to count because we have a lot of people that do our model just themselves, right? So a, a A parent will say, I want to do this for my two kids at home, and they can use our model that way. We don't count that as a micro school. So if you count that, it's many, many, many more. But yeah, in the hundreds of micro schools, and it's six states right now. So we're uh, gradually adding partnerships uh, in different places and, and trying to kind of go state by state so we can offer this program at no cost to families.
0: So have you open sourced all the materials and curriculum and prompts and everything? Is that all available to families?
1: We sell it. So we have a, um, yeah, like a monthly subscription you can just buy and and use just our platform. When we're in like in Arizona and New Hampshire and Kansas, when we're working in partnership with with public schools and offering this for free, it's the platform plus, you know, there's these additional services that we do to support the whole thing. And for people outside of those areas, uh, and this is actually stretched all the way across the ocean. We have people in other continents that are using this, but in that case, it's just, they're they're running the like logistics of it either as homeschool or as a micro school that they're forming on their own, but we provide the platform and they can buy that uh, just separately.
0: That's one of the things that was really interesting to me is I know that you've partnered with state agencies and you've partnered with public schools to make this work. And so I'd love to hear more about how that process works and how that affects your guides and your students and, you know, both positive and if there are any negatives to that, you know, what what that looks like.
1: Yeah, happy to talk about that. So one of our realizations early on was that uh, this is an exciting opportunity for some kids to have a very different learning environment. It's a place where all these things that we can talk about can happen. We didn't want it to be limited to people that can pay tuition. So that was one of our kind of design criteria from the beginning is how can we do this in a way? Uh, part of that is just me, like growing up in the Phoenix suburbs, like I literally don't know anybody that pays for school. <laughs> like that's just, it's middle America. It's not very common. I know there's people in kind of California and New York and Connecticut where that's like maybe normal to sort of put your kid in a private school, at least for certain circles, but like that wasn't my circles. And, um, and I definitely didn't want to be, um, excluding people like myself or others that couldn't do it. So we said, okay, well, what would that look like then? They're paying, people are paying for school in the form of taxes. And, and the way that works is, um, these schools, either district schools or charter schools are running you know, their organization. Well, simultaneously, there's this trend among uh, innovative school leaders that are saying, you know, kids are different and there's lots of different modalities and formats for learning. Let's instead of sort of trying to force everybody through the same box, let's offer a portfolio and and really try to meet our communities where they are. And so if you go drop into really any kind of forward thinking school district, you're going to find one or more, you know, the assistant superintendents that's talking this way and saying, how can we add these uh, these modalities? How can we add additional options? Those two things being true, we found great partners. They say microschool is one of the many things that we can support as part of our school. And uh, Prenda can be roughly turnkey. I mean, there's, there's things that we're working together on the back end, things like special education and reporting data back to the state and handling that and kind of the funding pieces of it. But then in terms of like, here's our platform, we help organize people into micro schools. So there's like a marketplace for building micro schools and, um, and then supporting all of that and training and educating around our culture and our philosophy and how that works. So that putting that package together and being that so that the school doesn't have to invent that all on their own. Um, and the schools are finding that it's it's a great way to help their community be happy. Yeah, a parent that loves their kid and doesn't feel like they're getting heard or are getting access to an option that would would work well like that can be really challenging for not only the parent obviously but for the school too because it's not a pretty situation so for then for us to be able to uh, provide this option for them I'm thinking of one example where these micro schools don't have to be in homes many of them are but we have a micro school at a title one elementary school it's just a couple miles from me and at the school there were some kids that were having some behavior challenges for a variety of reasons principals are. Forward looking person and, and definitely understands these kids doesn't want to give up on them and send them, you know, kick them out of school. But instead of that it says, what if we put this micro school like in an, in an extra space on campus? So we've got these 10 kids that are just thriving, doing really well in this format. They still get to be part of lunch and PE and, you know, recess and all these things, but they're doing their learning in a different way in the micro school format. And it meets those, the needs of those kids. Well, simultaneously, it's making. The classroom teachers happier too because they were dealing, spending a lot of their resources, helping these kids who were bored or stifled or for for one reason or another, kind of causing challenges in the classroom. So, uh, putting all that together, it yeah, it's it's working really well for forward-looking uh, school leaders, and I hope they're listening. Because call me, like I want to talk to you if you are. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Do you see, like, do you see with it working so well with small groups of kids and especially on school campuses, do you see schools starting to adopt more of your pedagogy and method of teaching on a wider range and taking it to, you know, more of the mainstream school, if you will, instead of kind of a side micro school concept? We definitely see
1: that happening, um, both in the form of like more partners and more conversations and more opportunities to work together and in the form of just Ideas um, spreading, right? So even if they have not, no commercial relationship with Prenda whatsoever, but it's like, well, we could we could form kind of these smaller groups, and we could allow for more personalization. We could do. Uh, I'm thrilled every time that happens. I think from parents' point of view, it's it's like can't come fast enough, and and not to sort of light a fire, but I think especially during the pandemic, I think a lot of parents sort of shifted in education and said, I used to sort of passively send my kids and just trust that it was all going to be okay. And now I'm kind of like, maybe it's not. Maybe I need to be a little bit more. And I mean, this is you know, arguably like the thing you care about the most and you're spending less time on it than maybe, you know, like your cable company or something. Because you sort of don't really think. You just send them to whatever school and then they go. So parents that want to be closer in this and are asking and demanding, and I think rightly so, demanding a level of accountability um, that can be stressful for the schools. And uh, anyway, so putting all that together. Yes, I think that it's happening and could it happen a lot faster? I, I tend to believe that it can.
0: I think the pandemic has definitely been a push and an eye-opener for a lot of parents and a lot of parents who were just kind of saying, oh, this is the school down the block. That's where my kid will go. And now that they've literally kind of been sitting in that classroom for a year and seeing how it goes, you know, asking different questions and looking for different things. Right. Has the pandemic changed or affected your business?
1: So we had a massive influx of um, new families. Some of them were people who already bought into how we're doing education, who kind of saw the the value of it and they just needed that little nudge to, to get in there. Those people had a great experience and stayed with us. We had a lot of families that were just, they're kind of just looking for something, right? Like we, we kind of refer to them as the COVID refugees. It's like, I don't really know about all your education philosophies. And maybe I'm not there yet with you on like the need for personalization and small groups and these inquiry-based group activities and hands-on and Mm -hmm. the project-based learning. And, you know, like they're maybe not coming for that. They're just like 10 kids, safe space. Like we could do this during COVID. Like great. And those people often did have a great experience. I've got to work with and, and meet lots of them, but many times they still were like once the school was reopened. It's like, I'm, I'm still in the normal, like do it the way it's been done camp. And that's totally fine too. So we parted ways as, as friends. But yeah, I mean, growing a lot during COVID forced us into a mode of really looking hard at all of our processes and everything we've, we've built. We've got, you know, software and operational things that we've put together. We've really had to pressure test all of that. And I think we came out of it a much stronger company, not to say that, that was comfortable. We have a, um, one of our core values as a company is learning over comfort. We write it with a, a greater than, sorry, and learning over comfort. And we got to experience that ourselves. You know, we were in a very uncomfortable mode of high learning, high growth. And um, and I think we're better for it.
0: Well, that's great. Congratulations. <laughs> and, you know, you you were able to provide something and support a lot of families who were really lost and confused and scared during a time when you we're lucky enough to have a product that you could really help people. Yeah. and that's that's one of the things I've heard kind of consistently through what you've said is that you're really just looking to create something that's helpful to others and support different students learning and be an area where you can be part of part of a solution and help so that you know some of those kids that maybe might get left behind or fall through the cracks or not get pushed as hard as they should are finding the challenge that they need and the support that they
1: need yeah absolutely and and it it gets very real for me when you meet these kids. I've had the privilege of working directly with many, many children um and i've you can tell when you talk to them where they're at. I think it's too often uh for a variety of reasons. This is not like somebody's fault. it's just like adding all together there's this um blockage you can almost like see it in them where it's like. They're capable of so much. They have this huge potential and this worth and value as a human. And yet there's a, a belief system about themselves or a missing set of sort of habits or practices. There's something getting in the way of them truly realizing what that is. Um, and I think for parents, you know, you, you get to experience that you see that in your child. Um, oftentimes that's in the form of, you know, my child's disengaged. They're getting in trouble. Um, I get the story a lot of just parents they are like, I'm sitting in the car out in front of the school and my child's just crying, like, don't make me go in there. For some reason, you know, sometimes it's social, sometimes it's academic, sometimes it's, you know, whatever. But that like rips your heart out. You know, we are like, I, I want you to have the growth and learning, but I don't know in my heart that as I'm sending you in there that you're going to have it, right? And so for parents instead to be able to have this small group, this learning guide that you personally know and you're really connected with, and there's this um, still hard sometimes. I mean, learning is always going to be messy, but this confidence that through this growth, those we're going to take those blockages away and you're going to be able to do the work to get to your, you know, kind of realize your, your real potential. I just get so excited about what that means for individuals, for their families, and really for the whole world, because we need lots more of those people who are unblocked and ready to, to contribute and make things happen on our planet. Not to, not to get too heady about it, but that's what I feel excited about in education is that, that work. And I know I share that with lots and lots of people.
0: Yeah, as as someone who also runs a micro school, I fully agree. You know, I see micro schools as a huge piece of the future of education because there are so many kids that, yeah, are having an issue or a struggle or getting the wrong messages or, you know, it just isn't working for them. And finding those solutions are really important. Yes. So I have one more question for you that I ask everyone. And because I do run an elementary school, I love to hear what people remember from their elementary school experiences. So can you share a story that you remember back from when you were in elementary school? I
1: would love to share too, if, if it's okay. Of course. The first one was in kindergarten. I swear it was like the first day of school, so early on. And I remember being so scared uh, to be there. You know, everybody's like new and this new environment. And I was like, Pretty shy. And um, we were doing this coloring activity, and this teacher came over and told me I was coloring wrong. I still like distinctly remember she was so tall. I was turning my arm around to color, and she wanted me to turn the page and keep my arm the same. It was like such a little thing. Like, I'm sure she never thought twice about it, but for whatever reason, like, it had this feeling of like I've been reprimanded, and my whole my whole high school, at like all the way through, like thirteen years of school, I never got in trouble. Like, like that was the most trouble I've ever been in. It was basically just like <laughs> all I wanted was to like keep my head down and not. I don't know. I just didn't like that feeling at all, and and that's silly, I know, but it's it was one that I remember. And then in third grade, I did have that, you know, that one teacher that was uh, able to sort of see the kind of your true self and and trying to help you get there. She was helping us with a like a Young Authors Program. So going back to sort of writing something you cared about, and um, they would like find the book and put it in the library and it had the little like envelope with the card and people could check it out and write their name. And so I got to go see my book. I, I worked hard at it. I spent, you know, a whole semester like writing this book and getting it prepared and, and putting it in the library. And then I got to see like when someone would check out my book and it, it had this connection to something that I cared about that kind of transcended the the hoops, you know, and all the things that you jumped through. It was a Really special experience for me
0: that's amazing. Do you have any idea if your book is still in the library? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I haven't been back. I would be shocked if it was, it was uh, guy <laughs> pasted the like it was like wallpaper or something and we pasted it on the like the book binding so it wasn't wasn't fancy at all but um, I had a moment just yesterday i got got back um it took a little longer than she thought to publish, but from last year, my daughter got to write a novel and get it published and they had it done like professionally. It's got like a barcode and a like little QR code and I don't even know what they're for, but um but she brought me her book just full full of that enthusiasm. She's a sixth grader this year, but it's from la it's from her fifth grade year. And being able to like read that with her and just look at her work. I mean she put so much effort into it and it's just it's powerful to be able to do these types of things and and I think to the extent we can give kids more and more of these opportunities just kind of spark uh, sparks. You know, we talked about seeds and we talked about popcorn, but uh, Plutarch's metaphor was was a fire. You know, he said the mind is not a vessel to be filled; it is a fire to be kindled. And I see that all the time. You know, it's just getting that fire lit. For each kid, it's going to look different, and how that can happen. And and it's uh, an honor, you know, to be part of that work for individual human beings, who each one of them has this potential to go on and accomplish great things.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for nurturing little human beings and for giving them a space to learn and to create. And thank you for your time joining us today. This has been a wonderful conversation.
1: It's been great. And thank you, Tanya, too. I know you're neck deep in it as well. So keep up the good work.
0: Likewise. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Educator Podcast. To learn more about us, visit rebeleducator.com, where you can learn about our professional development opportunities for educators and students, and see our project library. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out our progressive, inclusive elementary school, UP Academy, at upacademysf.com. We'd like to say a special thank you to Atmosphere for use of their audio track, Mijo. Thanks again for joining us, and we wish you well no matter where your educational journey may lead.